Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, if you've been with us any time, you know that we are doing a series called Contentment in the Crisis. How many need contentment in the days that we're living in right now? I find that it is, it's, I have to be actively pursuing contentment and joy in my life because there's so much going on that wants to steal it and rob it from us. Today we're uh, doing a study of Philippians uh, over these uh, next few weeks. I think we've made it to chapter 2. In fact, uh, turn over to chapter 2, verses 17 right now in Philippians. Our sermon title is, A Little Help from My Friends. Not the Beatles song, by the way, but rather the general feeling the Apostle Paul shared for two of his friends that came to serve him while he was awaiting sentencing uh, for the violations, supposedly, that he had violated the Jewish law back in Jerusalem. He's now been in custody for many, many months, almost a year now, we're told, um, and he is still awaiting what Caesar is going to render. Caesar can order him to be killed, or he can uh, give him a long sentence in prison, or he can just release him, and, and uh, Caesar hasn't decided what he's going to do about this guy named Paul, because this Paul's crazy, according to Caesar. He doesn't know what to do with him. As I've said before from the pulpit, God designed us humans for relationship and to share our relationship with each other. Isn't it good to, I mean, as we did earlier this morning, isn't it good to share the, the, maybe a high, a, a birthday or a celebration in your life? But isn't it also good to know that you have friends when things get very dark or when a tragedy strikes you? That's why I tell people, listen, you can worship at home while, if you need to right now, but if you can be here, this is the place to be. Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, as some are doing, but especially as the day approaches. Listen, the day is approaching. That day is capitalized. The day of Christ's return is coming soon. At any moment, we might not finish this, this message this morning. Jesus, we may, we may hear that trumpet blast, and we're going home immediately. And boy, I'd be all right with that. Amen? But we sometimes go through tragedies and it's good to have friends and, and to celebrate even during those difficult times. A youth minister was attending a special Olympics where handicapped children competed with tremendous dedication and, and enthusiasm. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of watching one. I've only got to watch one on TV, uh, the special Olympics. They, they're tremendous. One event was the 220-yard dash Contestants lined up at the starting line and, and at the signal started running as fast as they could for the finish line. One boy by the name of Andrew quickly took the lead and was soon about 50 yards ahead of everyone else. As he approached the final turn, he looked back and saw that his best friend had fallen and hurt himself on the track. Andrew stopped looking at the finish line and focused on his friend. People were hollering, run, Andrew, run! But Andrew didn't. 
instead of sealing an easy victory that day at the Special Olympics, Andrew turned and jogged back to his friend. He helped him up. He brushed off the dirt, and hand in hand, they crossed the finish line, dead last, but together. And as they did, the people cheered even louder than before, proving the old adage that there are some things more important than finishing first. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, he said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. We are blessed to have companions, friends in our lives. Amen? Don't ever forget them. Don't ever forget that they are a blessing from God. Storms have a way of knocking us down at times, but it's, it's sure good to see a hand come down when you're laying on your back. It's sure good that when those storms come, people come to help us find our sea legs during the storm. And God blesses us when we bless our friends. Did you know that? Did you know that when you bless your friends, there's a blessing for you? Praying for them can have some unexpected benefits. Listen to this. In Job, we're told that the keynote character had all but lost all of his wealth, and he was a very wealthy man. He'd lost it in a series of unfortunate tragedies. But clear back at the end of the book now, Job has gone through so much. But in Job 42.10, the word tells us this. After Job had prayed for his friends, after after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Some of you are going to get right with God right now and start praying for your friends again, aren't you? <laughs> I could use you know, a, a double blessing on that. The Apostle Paul had some great friends, though. In fact, someone noted that uh, in the New Testament, he lists more than 100 friends. I didn't know that until I studied this this week. One of the reasons Paul had so many friends was easy to see. He was a great friend himself. If you had Paul as your friend, you had a friend. So let's talk about a few of the friends that Paul had and see what it takes to be a really good friend. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 17, let's read our passage. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, speaking to Timothy here, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I pray to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. Before, or, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. 
Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and one who ministered to my need. They had sent Epaphroditus when they heard Paul was arrested and put in prison. They were so upset and they, were, they loved him so much. They sent Epaphroditus to go and serve him. Do whatever you can for Paul. Encourage him. Whatever he needs you to do, go and do it. They sent him to minister to Paul. Yet I consider it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, that you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because For the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Two friends Paul had. And as we look at our passage this morning, I want to consider three very important lessons on how to be a friend. Here's lesson number one, and if you take notes, and I encourage you to, you can do so on the back of your bulletins right now. This might be something you'd like to look at later or share with someone else. Lesson number one, we need to display a genuine interest in others. Display a genuine interest in others if you're going to be a great friend. We see Paul's genuine interest in his brothers and sisters in Philippi right here from the start of this passage. He writes, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. See, he couldn't get on the phone and give them a call. He couldn't get an email or or an update from them. There was no website he could go to. He had no clue of what's going on in Philippi. But see, he treated them like they, they were his Children in the faith, he calls them. And he was concerned about all that was going on. He had been arrested. What's happening to my kids in Philippi? Are they all right? Let's send, let's, Timothy, go check on them. Epaphroditus, you go next. I want to know what's going on. Send me a report. I don't know how to pray for them. Paul loved these people and their friendship grew largely out of his genuine interest for their well-being. That's how to be a great friend. It might have been understandable if Paul had poured out his frustration in this early passage over having been arrested on the trumped-up charges that the Pharisees had alleged that Paul had committed in Jerusalem many months ago. We'd understand that, wouldn't we? It would have even been human to complain about his living conditions. Can you imagine? I mean, this wasn't like modern-day prisons. Debbie and I, as I've said before, we've gotten to go over there and see the prison where he was held. It was not a prison you'd want to be in. It's a stinky, dirty place. It's a hole in the ground that they had hollowed out. They would drop the prisoners down through a hole into utter black darkness. It's a terrible place to be. 
We'd understand that if he complained a little bit about his living conditions or the long-awaited sentencing process that held him in prison all these months now. But for Paul to make a fuss over his friends who were back in Philippi was really extraordinary. Extraordinary. Beyond ordinary. In fact, so much so that he decided to send his only assistant that was left to him now, Timothy, so he could see how everyone was doing in Philippi and if they were okay. And in so doing, Paul was now left alone in the Mamertine prison with just other prisoners. Do you ever just call someone to see how they're doing? I have to remind myself to do that. Just to say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Let's go get coffee. You know, because I'm real good at waiting until I've heard bad news from someone or, or, or I need something from them. I mean, it's human nature. But living on purpose means you call people to check on them once in a while. Now, I understand we can't do this with everyone or we'd never get off the phone these days, but we should have a few people that we check on, fam family and friends, uh, that we can call occasionally and just ask how they're doing. As this church grows bigger and it seems to be growing uh, like never before in these days, let me tell you, the way you keep this small is by reaching out to people around you and asking them how they're doing. Staying after church sometimes. I love how you guys do this. Sometimes I just stand right here and I just listen. And to me, that's the sound of music is your voice is laughing. I see people praying. I see people sharing things that are going on in their life. You guys are amazing. Lou Gehrig was the first baseman in the, of the New York Yankees. He died June 2nd, 1941 of ALS, later called uh, after him Lou Gehrig's disease. The doctors uh, didn't know how to treat it. So he was in the hospital, hospital for a very long time as they experimented with different drugs, trying to find one that would work. Just before he died, Lou Gehrig called his friend, Bob Constantine. He said, Bob, I have great news. The boys in the lab have come up with a new serum. And they're trying it on 10 of us. It seems to be working well on nine of us. Nine out of 10, Bob, can you believe it? Bob's asked him, Lou, are you one of the nine? Is it working on you? Lou answered, well, um, no. Uh, I'm the one in the ten that's not working on. But nine out of ten, Bob, how do you like those odds? Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> the first baseman was really joyful because nine out of ten of the people in the same ward were now getting a benefit from it, although it wasn't him. That kind of attitude is probably what makes Lou Gehrig's name still remembered all these days, all these decades later, because he was such a good friend to people that he would meet, and he genuinely cared for him. The Apostle Paul was the same way. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, he writes this, Do nothing, don't do anything, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you, that's you and me, should look not only into our own interest, but also to the interests of others. You want to know how to keep the church together? You want to know how to stay connected? You want to know how to find joy, how to have contentment 
in the crisis, you link arms with other people. Each week you come and you encourage someone that needs encouragement because next week you might be the one that needs it. In other words, be genuinely concerned about each other. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself why you go to church every Sunday? Is it that we feel obligated to God? Perhaps we just like the music or the atmosphere. During the summer, you get free, uh, free uh, air conditioning. That's kind of, you know. Or maybe we come to get our spirits lifted personally. Let me tell you a great reason for coming to church. To be a blessing to someone else by having the opportunity to actively pour the love of God into the lives of someone else. That's a great reason to come to church. Yes, we come to, to lift up the name of Jesus. Yes, we come to give glory and praise to God. But let me tell you, He is most praised when we're encouraging each other. He told us to do that. To encourage. They'll know you're Christians by the way you love each other. It's not normal for us to do that as human beings. But it is normal if we love Christ, we'll love one another. So when you come to church each week, be on the lookout, especially now, to be a blessing to someone else because someone may be sitting right next to you that's never been to church before in their lives. We're seeing a lot of that lately. Introduce yourself and tell them that you're glad they're here. Let them know that if, you, if there's anything they need that we can help them with, that's what we're here for. Or when you listen to someone's story and learn that they're having a difficult time, stop and pray right there. I love how you guys get this. And then introduce them to a deacon who will follow up. And we'll try to help them in their needs if we can. Be sure to look for them next week and check up on them. Let me tell you, that's genuine love right there. I share a heartache with you, and then you find me a week later and say, hey, Ben, I've been praying for you. How's it going this week? That's genuine love right there. Or if someone you know is struggling with a heavy burden of grief or a loss, struggling maybe in a relationship, sit with them and maybe stop by with a dinner just to let them know that you care. I love how we do this. Sherry puts together teams that, uh, that uh, do this meal train. Someone that's maybe going through a real hard time. Maybe someone that's come home from the hospital recently. They put together meals just so the person doesn't have to have a you know, and have to be in the kitchen to worry about that. It's such a blessing to watch how you guys love so well. Now, I realize many of you are doing this already. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I get to watch this. I get notified. You know, I try to sign up for meal train, and there's already 14 people ahead of me. What's wrong with you people? You love each other radically. That's good. That's good. Isn't it refreshing to know that we can care about each other without hidden agendas? See, the world's always asking when we go out and do something. You know, when you give 250 dad bags away to dads in our community just to tell them that we love them and that we think, you know, fatherhood's really important, that they ask, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's easy. Because God told it, you know, God loves us and we're just trying to share the love. That's all. One day we may be in need of the love and care from someone else. Here's another benefit of loving on people. When we care about others the way that I just described, many of our own fears and the stressors in our life will begin 
to wane. They'll begin to diminish. The Bible teaches us this. Of course, psychologists are just learning it. They should read the Bible more. (laughs) That the quickest way to reduce the effects of our own trouble is by becoming involved in helping someone with someone else's trouble. I've said this before. You know, there's nights I haven't wanted to go down and serve sometimes. Ronald McDonald House. And I start complaining and whining. God, I'm tired. I don't want to serve the meal. I just want to go home and take a nap. All right, I'll go. And then you get down there and you just are so overwhelmed with being able to help with someone else, to be able to encourage someone else, to be able to pray with someone else. All of a sudden, what you're going through isn't that bad when you start helping someone else. That's why you guys have smiles on your faces. I'm convinced of it. Remember, we talked about shining our lights last week so that others could find their way through troubled times. That's what we talked about. We talked about this. Being a shining light in the community. The prophet Isaiah knew this a long time ago. Isaiah 58, 10 through 12 uh, informs us that if we, if we, here, here you know, there's a, this is conditional. If you'll do this, God says, I will do this. He tells us, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Two simple commands, really. Then, this is the condition. Here's the benefit that you and I received if we help them with this. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a builder of walls and a restorer of homes. You know what? That's not a bad thing to put on a tombstone, is it? It, That might be a good thing. I think it'd be a great thing, actually. Ben was a a rebuilder of walls and a, a restorer of homes. I'd like that. That'd be all right. That's what we want to be looking for when we come to church. How can we bless someone else? How, how can we, you know, if somebody's hungry, they shouldn't be. We should be taking care of that, and we do. And help those in trouble. And if you'll do that, then your light will shine out from the darkness. Because see, our lights shine brightest right now. As the world gets darker, our lights only increase. Listen, you all know now that we're bringing the return National Day of Prayer and Repentance for America to our front field on September 27th, right? We all, we all good with this? Someone told me that you've got to say something, you've got to announce something seven times before the people can, can repeat it back to you. I think my people are smarter than that. <laughs> so let's remember the return. We're going to do this right out here. We, you know, we, we farm and cultivate alfalfa on this field. Some of you don't know that maybe, but that four acres out there, we're going to use it to farm and cultivate something else on that day. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. And, and by the way, I want to encourage you, you better sign up for one of these uh, eight foot by eight foot boxes with your family pretty soon because they're, they're going like crazy. But 
through all of this, and, the, and as good as that is going to be, an amazing part your time to pray for America. America has never needed it more. But on that day, there's something special that I, that I wanted to add, and here it is. We are going to provide food for the hungry. Uh, two days ago, I bought these bags that are really cool. Hand, they're grocery sacks or grocery bags, but they're really cool looking grocery bags. And they're going to just say, hey, God loves you. You know, enjoy this food. May it bless you. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.